Good day, everybody. Welcome to the Got Brain podcast presented by Cognitivology, where we will continuously discuss and present in detail the mechanics of intuitive intelligence that are built on our inborn basic intuition. Plus, we will also be presenting the true mechanics and virtues of diversification. Now, you may be pondering, what do these two things have in common? And this is something we will continue to present and unfold for you about the significant connection between these two facets of our human potential. I would like to introduce myself. I am Carla Mencken-Wolf and also my wonderful best friend and editor, Bryce Conway. And she's going to say something. What would you like to say? Hi, everybody. My name is Bryce Conway, as Carla Mencken-Wolf had just said. Uh, I wanted to say that we are, in fact, the mechanics of intuition and diversification. I hope you guys enjoy uh, our presentation and stick around for others. Uh, we, we welcome all comments and questions. Um, we will try to answer them all throughout the next couple of weeks or months, and hopefully on this journey of brain potential the discovery you guys will learn something um this information is only uh was developed by us and only can be presented by cognitivologists which is what we are and we also hope to learn something from you as we from all of you in our audience as we learn about the questions and inquiries you have about true human brain potential or the genuine, bona fide, authentic potentialities of what our brain has intended us to be and become in all of our commonality and our uniqueness. Hello. Hello. We're back again. We are. Thank you. And thank you for all who are here, and we'd just like to say, I'd like to say from the Northeast, happy springtime. Yes. <laughs> Which I might have actually said prematurely a few weeks back. It's true. But, uh, of course, I think this one's going to be heard in June, so <laughs> hopefully it will be spring by then. <laughs> it should be summer by then. No. Oh. Yes. Maybe. Maybe we will actually other words, have it after June 21st. In other words, the season will, will officially be summer, but we may only still be experiencing spring yes. because it's been, it's been a harsh winter. Yeah, I guess. But uh, I'm feeling finally the, the spring allure that makes me feel that we are upon the the newness of a new season or that, that kind of refreshed renewal rebirth. Yes. yes. When all the trees are in bloom and you can, you know, the birds get up before the sunlight or just as the sunlight is, as the sunlight is, oh, I do expect to hear a, a nightingale by my window in the middle of the night sometime soon. 
<laughs> just because when I call the nightingale, he tends to come by or she tends to come by. Okay. So that's one of my favorite birds. There's just something funny about hearing a nightingale in the middle of the night. Right. And uh, it always wakes me up, even though I may be in a deep sleep. But wow. <laughs> I like to. It's a powerful bird. <laughs> well, the first time I heard uh, a, a nightingale bird, I had literally gone. I had a couple of weeks before gone outside my door and stood outside like a complete idiot and saying, hello, nightingales out there. Could you please come by in the middle of a night? And let me hear your bird song because I've never heard a nightingale bird song. And two weeks later, uh, nightingale landed right on my air conditioner on the outside mm-hmm. in the middle of the night and started chirping away singing. Okay. Beautiful tune. Very loudly in the middle of the night. <laughs> Next day, I got up in the morning and my landlady said, did you hear that last night? And I say, uh, yeah, I think that's my fault. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was, she was a little perplexed, little, little peeved, little peeved. <laughs> she, she was a little, she was more perplexed and 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 laughing with me after I explained the only, the only reason why this nightingale appeared at my window, right, right. Uh, so that I can hear it, and then a few nights later, I'd I'd heard it again. Uh huh. And so, uh, periodically, I'll 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 ask for the nightingale to come back, and it actually comes back, which is just a really sort of s- silly Snow White experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I can explain it. It's true. It's true. Speaking of Snow White experience, I have to let the cat out the door. Okay. Back in the other room. So. Now that we've given our our silly Snow White Springtail yes. for the season. For the season. And uh, hopefully by this time I'm <laughs> in another part of the world enjoying a different kind of a weather. Yes. I uh, An endless day. An endless day. I an hope to day. see a midnight near close to a mir- midnight sunset, yep. which I will likely post somewhere. And share with my social media friends. Um, but the last time we left off, we said something about actually giving an example regarding some neurolinguistic, cognitively correct uh, semantics. Yes. That would tie together some of this information that we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks regarding the four by four formula. Yes. Where the basic four positional uh, structures and foundations for all energy, matter, knowledge, information uh, come from and give us the standard model for how we make, for how we compute knowledge and information. Mm -hmm. And that in combination or in conjunction with the human brain's hardwired system for um, emotional literacy and genuine emotional intelligence. And then those two systems, because everything is math, so there's always two sets of variables. And if you look at physics and you see all those funny symbols they use, there may be one symbol for something, but behind that symbol, there's a whole bunch of math thingies. Yes. 
um, math postulates that are calculated together or calibrated together and yield a certain construct of the of universal energy matter space time laws and may include also negative integers or imaginary numbers and who knows what else right and so those symbols represent a whole context of mathematical algorithms mm-hmm. so behind them there's a whole database that are consistent with mathematical properties and when we speak about the fundamental principles of math we're speaking about the most basic tenets and features that make up the very fundamental foundational parts of space-time energy matter knowledge information so as 3D linear thinkers one of our first orders is to be able to master that area but i'm giving this in in a reverse format right now only because as we've presented this information prior we said that there's several areas that need to be considered in terms of a full spectrum of computational thinking that is the mechanical basis for real intuitive intelligence in other words we're including all the variables necessary to make a computation that is cohesive and comprehensive to everybody so we're working with a standard model and then from there we get the biodiversity and the neurodiversity spectrum in which ideas and creativity and innovation can be built upon because then it's endless because everybody's on the same page mm-hmm. um but to backtrack into what we first started saying about the combination of those uh, they're very relative to brain development obviously yes and to be able to construct the fundamental standard model initiations of natural knowledge uh, according to the laws of the universe which are immutable and unchanging between that and the brain's hardwired system what we've come to call the cocktail code mm-hmm. those have to be synthesized into language right and so we get what we have termed as cognitively correct and which is more popularly termed a uh, neurolinguistic programming which is used or designed or recalibrated you could say for people for adults who use that to focus on communications in business and in other industries where people are working together collaboratively where people come from diverse different backgrounds and particularly for <clears throat> leadership positions that want to ensure that they're the same thing almost as a teacher's doing drawing out the learning capabilities and the ability capabilities of each of their team members right so that there is more confidence within everybody to give their two cents their two golden cents <laughs> i like to say because two cents sounds cheap i like to say 
to golden sense, sometimes just a very, very small postulation can mean the whole difference between something coming out precisely as it needs to come out. Just as when Einstein did the theory of relativity, he was missing a precision on one particular factor when he was doing the physics math to write out the theory of relativity. Right. So that is because that explains all those fundamental laws and how they are interconnecting. That is also relative directly to the way that we use language because E equals MC square fundamentally explains the language of the universe in one small equation. So we are microcosms of the universe. Our, our human brains are a microcosm of the universe. So the, and language codes the brain. So language needs to be able to encompass and represent and be commensurate with both the language of the universe and the language of the microcosmic human brain, which is based on the cocktail code. Our brains are 100% hardwired for compassion and optimism and truth and trust and all the uh, traits that we've spoken about. And contrary to some popular opinions still, uh, that the brain is equally divided between right and wrong or good and evil, or that it's set to go one way or the other, that's actually incomprehensive. The, the algorithms that we use in language, which are based so much on the narratives that we've used for human progress, are so deeply ingrained that it gives veritability to that idea that the brain is divided in such that it could be sent one way or the other. Right. But that also has to do with, because we start learning language very early before five years old, there's a certain type of genetic modification and influence, which we touched upon last time. Yes. As well. So language is very much more significant and important to the way our brains get coded. Uh, just like certain physics equations are coded, are done and configured and coded by the actual rules and laws of the universe. Right. So we can speak many, many different languages, but all languages should encompass the brain's hardwired system and the universe's hardwired system for construction, which are all these four by fours. Mm-hmm. So luckily enough, we, we have said for a while that we wanted to compile something that would be really significant uh, or give some of the examples from one of our books where we speak about cognitively correct language, language. and some of the examples. Right. But I, I think that for parents who are young and have young children or for parents who are older and have very young children because they had their young children later in life. We, we have put in a lot of examples that are a little bit more academically inclined according to the several different cognitive areas or cognitive functions of development. Mm -hmm. And we wanted them to be in such a way where even though they were classified to a certain area like learning environment or math or natural science or creativity or art or motor control, uh, 
small motor dexterity control, safety, health, hygiene, all of those type of things. Uh, we were we were designing them so that the way that they were given or dispensed to children, that they would still represent uh, a cross section of the different cognitive functions. And so when we were designing that, <clears throat> I had designed a bunch and then you and I went over them together yes. and redesigned them because once we had started doing them, we understood that it was hard to keep it confined to a cognitive, one specific cognitive function. Right. And we oftentimes questioned whether it belonged in that section or whether it belonged in another section. Yes. But to our reminding surprisingness, <laughs> another silly term I'm making out. Yes. Uh, we had to uh, give ourselves the reiterating note that any one function was always going to be cross-sectioned with any other function, yes. but also because they needed to interconnect to other functions because to the three to five-year-old brain where everything gets interconnected and it's very significant in terms of how we we process whole pieces of knowledge the rest of our lives, how we do critical thinking, how we do computational thinking, how we do multitasking, that type of elemental understanding is set, especially during the three to five-year-old. So stage, so if anybody wonders what the purpose of that stage is, that's predominantly what it entails. What that really means is that to the three to five-year-old brain or a short nickname, four-year-old brain, mm -hmm. is that all cognitive functions are processed, even though children have very different, unique personalities and tendencies, but the four-year-old brain processes everything you do as one whole cognitive mush of functions mm -hmm. and abilities. So even though, say, you might be musically inclined and small motor inclined, and I might be large motor inclined and more scientifically inclined, my brain will be mechanizing those things together in conjunction with all the other cognitive functions with those as my leading, uh, my, my leading, uh, you could say factors in the way that they relate to my specific abilities and the same for you. But for each of our brains, they're still treating that and all the other functions of cognition as a whole mush. Right. <laughs> so your mush looks different than my mush. And, but the point is that you have a mush of all of those things. And I have another kind of mush. You have a mush and I have a mush. It's still a mush. Yes. Where everything or a batter, like a cake batter. Yours might be marble cheesecake and mine may be chocolate pudding cake. It's a mush and yours is a mush. They're two different types of mushes, but the connecting right. factor right. is they're one mush. So They're one mush. Exactly. And this is important for future critical thinking skills. And this is one of, I, I'm, I'm explaining it in a very undebonair way, <laughs> unexquisite okay. way, but 
it's 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 a very rudimentary way of explaining what's going on in the four-year-old brain. And it's a very overlooked function. And it's a, it's a process that in neuroscience, they're still scratching their heads about and going, how does this really work? How does this four-year-old brain? So they sort of, they skip over it. They do. They, they, they very much skip over it. So, uh, but we want to relate this whole neuro-linguistic, cognitively correct uh, speech mm-hmm. processing. Right, we have a real-world scenario. Right, we want to we want to give it some some kind of veneer where people who are adults now can relate to what it is and may remind them about when they were a child. So, lo and behold, as luck would have it, uh, one of my connections on LinkedIn actually. Uh, divulged a story from when she was young. Mm -hmm. And I got her permission to discuss this particular experience she had when she was young. She never told me how old she was at the time, but I'm guessing that she was somewhere between four and a half and maybe seven and a half or eight. Uh, So... Really? You think that young? I think she was that young. I will ask her to be sure, and I will make the correction in our next. Okay. But. um, The only reason why I ask mm -hmm. that in Mm -hmm. that way is Mm -hmm. um, as a parent, I would find it difficult to think to myself, my four and a half year old could get a ladder. Well, the thing is, four year, four and a half year old kids can do anything an adult no, can do, I, and you and, know and this. I understand that. And I do. I un, I know that, but um, you know, you still watch them. Well, to... this is part of the the. This is part of the whole context okay. and content of what we're going to talk about. So, so okay, let's. But while we're leaving out the eight. precise age of what was going on during that time. Uh, I think that the tale will still be very much more relatable to adults in terms of this woman's particular testimony. And I definitely like to hear feedback from people about it. So while we're on the topic and it's hot, I am going to go ahead and say word for word here what it is that she shared. Okay. And she gave her a testimony prior to this about how she was very curious. She had seen from her window, so she wanted to go down and see it close up. She got a ladder to get up into the tree so she could see this baby nest, this bird's nest with the baby eggs in, the eggs in it. Okay. Uh, She never said exactly, this is in the Far East, so, uh, the near Far East, let's say on the subcontinent. Okay. (laughs) And she managed to get on the very top of the ladder, but as she got up there, she was still unable to get the view inside of the nest. So she, at, at that point, attempted to pull down the branch to be able to see into it. And as she did that, the nest came tumbling out of 
The tree. The tree and fell to the ground. And uh, she had uh, obviously created a sound between letting go of the branch and perhaps the ladder moving. And her dad heard it and he came running out to see what was going on. And she, so these are her words from that point. She knew that there was trouble that she had caused. Yes. She said, I was trembling and you know how trouble strikes in multiples. My father had heard something and ran towards me. Boy, was he mad at me for what I'd done. He angrily explained that I just ended three little lives. Imagine what the mom must feel after sitting on those eggs for a while. You broke her nest too. Why, why did you do that? I cried a lot, yet no words came out of my mouth. My curiosity had gotten the better of me, and I felt truly awful. I always remember this story when I see a bird's nest. It also surfaces when I'm walking in the park and see parrots flying about. I dream of taking one home and making it my pet because I am able to give it love. And she goes on to say how nature has a balance and messing with it can have devastating consequences. That's her way of thinking at this point. Um, she wanted to say something more about endangered species, but also having gone through that experience, she, she developed what I call, what we used to like to call an inhibition about doing certain things, which I prefer now to call it trepidation. Mm -hmm. Because if things are defined by uh, the limitation, limited knowledge of consequences, then that inhibits us. We have a, a certain trepidation about moving forward, learning forward, instead of being able to learn according to optimal information processing, what the new possibilities are. Right. And uh, we did talk more about this, but I think our listeners can get the gist of what was going on mm -hmm. with this, her father's reaction. Right. Um, and she and I talked more about how traumatic it was uh, that how her father treated her and how she was uh, already uh, devastated herself by what had been done. Right. So I replied to her saying, thanks for sharing your vulnerability story. Um, you should never have had to suffer this event, nor should your childhood curiosity have been so dampened either. As an early education specialist, I would say that feeling that you could have had truly and confidently expressed and trusted as an adult is to be able to continue to communicate your own curious desires. And to, to be able to do that, such a situation or re repetitive situations should have been averted. And, uh, she did tell me in confidence, I could only say so much about that, that there were many more situations that were as difficult as this one, but she shared only this one. Right. 
in her childhood. Sure. Uh, I continue to say one of the most important things in early childhood learning is for adults to know when to let what uh, what what when to let children's expl- exploration and explanation processes be trusted and, and go free. Uh, that children are also supposed to be guided through circumstances that require asking for help. Um, so technically speaking, so this is like taking a trip back in time. Yeah. I said to her, your dad's response should have been, I'm sorry that you were unable to feel that you could come to me and ask for help in this curious endeavor. And now you are suffering this heartache along with this baby bird's mother. Next time we will do this together. Let's give these baby birds a proper burial. And then there's some other factors that we spoke about further later on. Um, I'm leaving them out only for now because I just wanted to give a very basic understanding of how this ties to some of the four by four uh, concepts that we talked about. So there's already several elements in here because it's yes. tying together emotional literacy. It's tying together the guidance that the dad or the mom could have given the child in terms of measurement, reaching, uh, distance, what they were capable of, a different type of equipment that could have been used. All of these things in one little event could have very deep cognitive significance that cross crisscross a range of functions that would be very useful at the time where we're tying together ideas that go together and functions that go together that equal what is the true meaning of critical thinking and computational thinking and uh, strategic analysis, planning analysis, which is also called SWOT in the business world in some places, which is very popular in in the Far East and the subcontinent and is less popular here. Uh, whereas, and we've mentioned this also, computational thinking is somewhat uh, becoming more commonly known to people in computer science, but less so uh, for people in other fields of interest. But it should be becoming more widespread and diverse across all fields and disciplines of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's also the natural science uh, elements in which uh, some something more could have been spoken about in terms of the baby birds and how they need to be left undisturbed and unmoved. Uh, what happens where uh, a distance is closed between something delicate and something hard on mm-hmm. the ground. You have all these other space, time, energy, matter right. factors. Um, and then tying our own emotions to the event where we where we learn what it what it feels like to do something in retrospect rather than being able to plan properly for what's happening and where we get to give a sense uh, and essence of our own heart and soul in something that goes wrong. So where we're, the child is giving uh, 
a chance to do a burial and having some emotional closure and where the dad is showing some compassion for what the child is also suffering because children feel these things very intensely. And we've often been removed or forgotten how much we felt that we've buried it. And we said, okay, we were a kid, we got over it. And when now we're doing things our own way, we get to make our own decisions. But those very essential experiences are very particularly uh, necessary for our intuitive intelligence development, which right. is the fuel for our future common sense and computational thinking abilities. So they're very much a part of the, I just want to go ahead and say the clockwork of what goes into all of that. Uh, and the dad could have used that as an opportunity where he entrusted the child. And now the child feels like that next time they can go and ask. Right. Because the, if the child fe felt some trepidation about being unable to ask the dad, now this was being rehabbed or reconfirmed. Yes. I'd be willing to do that. If I did something before to make you believe that you were unable to say, dad, please help me. I want to reestablish that, that seed of trust. And, uh, I, I put, I was glad to have this particular example to speak to because there's still, I think a bias in which people think that the, the mother is predominantly involved in a child's development. Right. And there are certain elements, and I know people are going to have a hard time reconciling, but there's certain elements that really come from a dad mm -hmm. that, that have a different set of feelings. Right. And, and I'm going to be really crude here and say, if you're kissing someone, they could be a great kisser, but... <laughs> the kiss is going to mean something more if it's coming from someone that you are in love with rather than somebody that you have a platonic relationship with. Yes. It's just one of those things. I know it sounds very strange, but my the thing is I'm pointing out that there's something significantly special about your dad connecting with you and your abilities. Right. As opposed to it being your mom. There's, there's a much more... Is there's a very definite, unconditional, loving essence that comes from mom. And there's something specifically very magical about the love that comes from dad when there's a an exchange about your specifically unique abilities. Mm -hmm. And some people will want to debate with that. I, I get it. Um, some people will debate with it because they take it for granted because they grew up with both parents. Right. So it becomes intuitive. And, uh, but if you are actually missing those things, people who know that they've missed one or the other will be able to say something more about it. I would love for them to chime in and to give their version of what they feel that that, that is. But there is a purpose between... Between a, a uniting purpose between mom and dad, and there's a very specific purpose between having a mom and a dad. And people like to give all kinds of other evolutionary reasons or, or 
uh, adaptation ideas about the way that we function now. Um, whatever people believe in, the point is that at this point in human history, our brains do work the way they work, however that came to be about. Right. That is whether whatever you believe in, that is the brain we have and that is what we are stuck with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is an emotionally developed human brain and it requires the basic ingredients about the knowledge of the universe, which is why we crave it, why we want to know it, why we're always seeking new knowledge. Right. And uh and and that's that's very significant to how it is that we come to reason. And that reasoning first is an emotional cognitive process. And when we're unable to do that in a very cohesive and coherent way, then it does impede it does create trepidation and inhibition in the way that we can reason later on right so uh i think i'm going to end again i know i always end so abruptly but uh conclusively we can say that emotional reasoning is important for eventual complex advanced innovative, intuitive reasoning and that a lifetime of emotional reasoning, which we talked about before. Yes. We talked about neuroplasticity and neurodiversity and neuroflexibility. Mm -hmm. um, we have all these ideas, these intellectual ideas about how to keep ourselves cognitively sharp, but Emotional cognition is first, and it decides all cognitive processes. So we need to do more cognitive flexibility. Um, of course, leaders are trying to lead the way in this area of human progress and human development, and that's great. And a lot of businesses are doing that. And because we're focused on economics and business, then great, it's a good place for those things to start. But eventually right. we need to understand the whole spectrum of emotional literacy and how it's relative to each and every one of us in very profound ways. Mm -hmm. And that allows us each to become a leader within ourselves and give full uh, vulnerability and flexibility to our prefrontal cortex so that we're using the best of our individually unique capabilities without inhibition, without trepidation. And, uh, and so if anybody out there has a story about their childhood that they would like to relay to us, um, and of course, then Carla can rework it into a cognitively correct way. And <laughs> Yes, we can, because that's <laughs> that, what we do. That would, uh, we welcome, <laughs> we welcome all uh, correspondence, at, you know, if you'd like to, gotbrainpodcast at gmail.com. It's been a while since I've said that, so, um, but enjoy. And, well, we should have said at the beginning, we are cognitiveology, but we do have a little heading that comes we do. up before us, and Honestly, so. I've forgotten, it's, it's been a year since we set that up, well, we should look that again. We should we should relook that we again. Should, we we should because <laughs> because um, 
It's it's like having a, a jingle before a show. It's, yes. it's like a show you watch on TV. Exactly. Um, the actors in the show, they they just start doing their lines. Right. It's unnecessary for them or unrequired of them to listen to their show jingles. Right. <laughs> before. And that's us. That's us. We are the actors in the show and we, we fail to listen to our own jingles. We should listen to it again sometime. Anyway, thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you. Thank you for thank being you. here. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, too. Take care. Take care. Bye.